Now, are you uh, straining your wrist clicking that mouse today? Is is your hand a little bit heavier than it normally is? Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like I'm just being weighed down a little bit. I got to being weighed yeah. down. That's extra what happens when you chain. What happens when you get gout? <laughs> <laughs> No way! I, I I know what Garrett you're doing, Garrett. You're doing that weighted clothing training that they do in DBZ, where he's got mm-hmm. like the, uh, the little wrist the really heavy sweatbands. Fifteen you pounds. Got, you're wearing a little a little bling bling on your uh, finger there. Little bling bling, on, buddy. Let little everyone bling. in the podcast see what you got there. Little ring. Yeah, let me just hold it up to the camera. You guys see that? Man. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. Looking good. That that's that's called a that's called a wedding band, my friends. Old Garrett got hitched and. You know he's he's much better for it, but really this is just a a pale a pathetic attempt at excusing our absence over the last uh, few weeks. Garrett got married. Mm-hmm. I was in Germany for yeah. two weeks. Jeff was at Garrett's wedding. At Garrett's <laughs> wedding, which is just as much of an ex- in fact Th- those even, are all similar more of a hassle than getting married. Yeah, those are all similar experiences, honestly. Like go like having to travel to Germany, having to go to a wedding, having to be in a wedding. Those are all uh-huh. you know. Bottom it's tier rough. events that you want to do. It's no good. I know. No good. It's, it's instead, of, instead of instead of playing an awful board game with terrible mm-hmm. mechanics and poor rules, been here. I'm yeah. recording I mean, about it. Just thinking oh, about man, we, what we could have done instead. It's, that's it's, why it's a crying shame. I'm glad to be back. That's why I'm glad to be back. Are you guys glad to be back? I'm ex- I'm thrilled to be back. This is this has been a long time coming. I've uh, yeah. we, we've we've been off about a month probably, and so yeah. it's good to be back in the old nice studio. Hiatus, but mm-hmm. good to be back. Here we are. Let's go ahead and introduce the show to maybe maybe we got a new listener or two, or maybe we got to remind some people because uh, <laughs> long term memory loss is sort of a thing. Uh, welcome to Roll and Move, the Internet's podcast where we take a look at some of the weirdest, most bizarre board games that we can get our hands on. And we review them. We talk about what makes them so weird. Are they good? And I am your first co-host and one of the creators of Rough Draft Games, Thomas Youngerberg. And with me here, as always, is... The newly appointed Mr. Garrett Lively. Were you not a Mr. before? That's not, I, I was told I was... Uh, it wasn't newly appointed. I was a junior, yeah. I was just Garrett you're, Lively. You're associate. 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 Associate Garrett Lively. Yeah. <laughs> BS. Now you're gonna now you're gonna be a full time partner. It's gonna be good. All right. And also with us is Jeff Lee. Uh, every time I used to look at the skies, I wondered why the stars would change pretty frequently. And then when I grew up, I realized it was a kaleidoscope that I was looking through. Ah. <laughs> Just constantly looking through a kaleidoscope. The change up there is crazy. That was, you know, when you that was a nice yeah. turn on that joke. I, th- I thought you were definitely going to do a flat Earth joke, but I, I'm glad. <laughs> I thought he was going to be do a Lion King reference, like Timon, fireflies stuck yeah. to the ceiling. I, you know, I've gone multiple ways. Well, today we are talking about the stars in the sky. We are talking about space, and you know what? I'm totally shocked because I thought that uh, what's his name, Christopher Nolan, was totally original with his concept of interstellar, but. There's a man who thought of that with a little board game way before we got to see Matthew McConaughey uh, <laughs> trying to uh, try, break, try, break the space-time continuum and uh, yeah. save Earth. And his name Go was f- Aristotle. Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be. Have you seen pictures of this guy? But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, we, we, we have a really interesting... I was very surprised at, like, not only the, uh, the subject matter of this game, but sort of the, uh, the, the way that it works. Uh, what are we playing today, Garrett? Today I have on tap Dark and Dangerous Skies, a production by Family Pastime Games, um, which exclusively puts out cooperative games, uh, mostly for children, but they, they do have some at least older 
uh, variants or variants for older people. So, um, but yeah, mostly children's games or family games, uh, but all cooperative. Name and age, and you've got it, right? What are the age (laughs) ranges that you typically see from family pastime games? Well, well, for example, I have Dark and Dangerous Skies here, and Mm -hmm. they've got a a swath of age ranges on here. They have either the five to seven-year-old game. Mm -hmm. Okay. They have the seven seven to 12-year-old version of the game, and then they have the 12-plus years version of the game. Mm. So one rule book, three different sets of rules, depending on the the groups of people you're playing with. It's a pretty wide range. <laughs> yeah. And the 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 differences between the the games, you have a little bit of additions of mechanics and then also philosophical conversations that have to take place <laughs> as you slide up the difficulty scale uh <laughs> towards the latter end of it. It's it's awesome. I, I I mean, I can't wait to tell you guys about it. But uh I I should first things first, should we take a look at who designed this game and and the production house itself, do you think? I think so. Uh, I think it, it very much informs our ratings of the game and and how we mm-hmm. should the lens we should view it through because this is this is a stranger game that we've played and and we didn't really know. I, I know you guys didn't know what to expect uh, coming into it, so it, it it definitely puts it into perspective. I think once you have mm-hmm. this kind of background information, and yeah. it, it kind of changes the way you view it. So let's let's talk a little bit about the company uh, once again. So the company that designs this game is Fat Family Pastime Cooperative Games, and as Jeff stated earlier, they are exclusively cooperative games. Which I didn't know there was a company that made cooperative games. I thought cooperative games were sort of a diamond in the rough. I don't usually see too many of those, or at least maybe I'm not looking in the right places. But I'm always pleasantly surprised when I find them. So to see a company that makes exclusively co-op games, we're, it's 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 a pleasure. I, I what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, it it I I would say you're kind of kind of right. I, I think there are maybe designers that exclusively design cooperative games. I th- you know I, th- I kind of think of uh, Matt Leacock the. Designer of Designer Pandemic. Pandemic. He yeah. almost exclusively does cooperative games, I, I believe. Did he also do the Forbidden series too? Or yeah. am I thinking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, and they're all pretty similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think you definitely see that more with designers as opposed to publishers. Um, however, Family Pastimes, from what I can tell, is mostly one of the same. It looks like Jim D. Cove and I believe his wife run the company, and they are the designers on most of these games. And and apparently they've put out over a hundred games um, mm-hmm. for. For the company, um, again, right. all cooperative. Every single one of them is cooperative, a- according to their claims. And most importantly, every single one of them looks to be somewhat unique. Yeah. Oh yeah. S- see, most of the production companies that we look at, what what do you usually see, Jeff, when you're we go to most of the production companies where it's like, oh, they have fifty games, right? You, you it's like a lot. It's of, like a monopoly, yeah. and then like a monopoly <laughs> two, and then a monopoly, you know. Monopoly for Millennials. It's like a different spin on the same game, but these Mm -hmm. are all completely unique. Looking through it, there was a game on like Mr. Troll that was a game, for example. There's a game on Lost Mm -hmm. Puppies. There's a game (laughs) on, you know, I I think, what'd you say, like The Circus is Coming to Town, Garrett, is one of the ones you mentioned. So there's like a whole swath of different topics and genres. And what was, that's great. You can change the topic. But what was mostly interesting, as, as Thomas alluded to, was they're all co-op games, but they spin in a lot of different game mechanics in between the different ones. So it seems like each game is really unique. Yeah. Right. You're not getting your cut and paste. Uh, here's a path on the board. Roll the dice and you move across it. Like there's a game on deep sea diving in the coral reef that has like depth levels on it that you have to deal with like airflow. There's another <laughs> game where you are in the middle of the emergency room and you're having to like... Uh, 
I, th I think it's like you have to balance the uh, the budget that you have to perform the operations as the hospital. Mm -hmm. Wildly different mechanics present in each of these games, and the fact that they're all co-op is super interesting. Yeah. Now, yeah, go ahead. I, I wanted to say, I mean, even even thinking back, uh, going back to my previous example with like Matt Leacock, if you look at the the pandemic series or and the um what's what's the island series you just said Jeff Forbidden Island Forbidden Island yeah, yeah. The, like you look at those mechanics and those mechanics are almost almost identical almost where, identical yeah, yeah you I, do a collection it, it, you do some trading it, you resolve right. yeah you move around the board there are certain areas that get blocked off as you go and you're trying to manage the board while also managing your resources so yeah I, I think that's a that's a great point where you look at these mechanics it's it is. Now I'm sure there are over a hundred games. There are some overlap of mechanics, yeah. but he has such a swath of of different games here. And like I'm, let, let's make a pizza. It's just a completely a card game. There's no board, and you're 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 getting different sets cooperatively. So yeah, it's it's super super impressive. The just broad broad range of of themes right. and mechanics he has. What I really love about it is that you know there are obviously some games that are more fiction oriented. So like. There is Mr. Troll and there's the snowstorm and stuff. But there's also games that are very a bit more technical where you have to have some level of understanding of that particular topic, right? Like Dark and Dangerous Skies is a great example. And I think Thomas mentioned the the um, the hospital game. So it makes me wonder, like, how much research is he doing into each one of these games? He's made over 100, right? So, like, for all the ones that he needs to do deep research, does he talk to somebody? Does he, like, or does he just have, like, I have a family friend that's a doctor, and he told me that blah, 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 and I decided to make a game on it. So I'm curious yeah. how he got, you know, motivation for doing I, these games. I think with at least re in regards to this game, he included a suggested reading list at the back of the rulebook. So, that's awesome. So he has, like, Solar System by Peter Ryan and Ludic Pesic. Uh, planets beyond other worlds shadows in the sun of the star guide i can't speak to the other games because i i don't own them yet but uh dark and dangerous skies included a suggested reading list so i i, I do believe that he is at least you know dabbling in these in these endeavors as far as doing his research and stuff that's that's awesome that he would include an extra reading list i mean just going through this his games that he has here we have a mountaineering game it's just called mountaineering we have one called Farmer's Market. We have one called Amazing <laughs> Illusions, where you own a magic shop. We like, and then we have uh, we have another one called uh, Oasis, where you're trying to find a, an oasis in the middle of a Middle Eastern desert. And what I love about take for o Oasis, for example, this guy also uh, he's like 90. He looks to be 85, 90 years old. He lives. He's this old guy living in Canada. He keeps a blog that he updates on the development of each board game, and he sort of reflects what the experience was making it and mm -hmm. how its reception has evolved over time. If you could elaborate a little bit on that, Garrett, you're the one to go combing through the blog. Yeah, yeah, it's it's super crazy, and it, it, I think it's also. Um... A, a good look into how the times have changed uh, culturally, uh, at least here in America, and, and I, I guess also probably up in Canada. Um, so, for example, he talks about uh, there's a game called um, Home Builders, and he in, in the game you build different types of shelters, including igloos, uh, teepees, um, and you know mm -hmm. clay houses, clay houses, Adobe, sure. Yeah. And so he he said it was a super popular game. Uh, he created it in 1992, and I think he republished it in 2009, or re-updated it, and or updated it in 2009. Mm -hmm. So the the he, he says in 2009 the popularity of the game started to fade, and he said he got a lot of feedback on the homes that he included in the game being offensive. Um, 
So he he's, he was told that he needed to find substitutes for teepees, igloos, and clay huts to bring it into modern times. And and you think about just the increased focus on social awareness and and modern society, where where we we need to be more careful of what we say, and you know the the different people um, that are present in today's society and how we need to how to treat them. Um, he also talks about eyes of the jungle, which takes place place in South America. Um, and he talked about the decline of that uh, because the characters in it are Puerto Rican and Mexican or they look Puerto Rican and Mexican and, and people in the U S in the, in the early, early nineties or late nineties began to be very concerned with immigration. And so he said, he's like, well, the, 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 the sales started dropping off because, you know, people didn't relate to it anymore and, and, and they didn't see it as a, as a heroic quest anymore. So it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, to sort of follow yeah. the ebb and flow of the social evolution of our of of our country, and it's, it's commentary on the times, yeah. yeah. And yeah. And, and, it, and he's not super judgmental, like or uh, he doesn't take a side one way or the other. He's just like, here's what the feedback that I'm getting, and objective. here's yeah. here's how I'm told I should I should be fixing it. And mm-hmm. he doesn't say whether or not he will or or, or anything, but he it, it's very just objective, like um, hugs and tickles. He says, you know. You know, you made this point that you know we think back to our childhood. We had Barney, who was very um, no, hugs, uh, hugs and kisses, kisses. Yeah. yeah. And he says, yeah. in today's society, you, you know, there's almost a there's a there's a, a, a faux pas for touching children. So you can't mm-hmm. you can't really touch anybody. So that that game completely fell off. The use of the game completely died. And he said it was a huge resource in classrooms up until that point. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he 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 a lot of social commentary in here just about the evolution of his games and, and the times. Yeah. And it, what's, what's really interesting is all of his games look super different. The <laughs> art style is very unique. Everything almost, it almost feels like, how would you describe his general art style? It's a little different from each game, but it sort of varies from like really weird, like bad, like, <laughs> I think you compared it to like DOS games, Jeff. Yeah. I compared <laughs> it to DOS play. games. I, I, it, I don't know what age range our listeners are but at, when we were children we used to learn how to type by playing these like word games and every time you type a letter correctly and the faster you can do it you'd move a race car forward and you have to race against the computer and that there was a the, it was similar to the graphics there i'm looking at another game right now skunk which looks like kind of you guys remember when national geographic wasn't taking pictures it was all hand-drawn very similar to like mm-hmm. buck quest style um yeah some <laughs> of the pictures are like that where it's like you know it's realistic in some ways it looks like a taxidermy mm-hmm. experiment but um, it's, but it's also, it's also still art. So yeah, they, there's kind of a, definitely a range of, of different art styles in here. Now, one of the ones I love is like his game mountaineering. It literally looks like one of those ski maps that you get right when you're about to get on the lift before you go up the mountain. And it's got like all the, the ski slopes on it mm-hmm. and it looks, it's like an actual picture. It's not even drawn. It's not anything. It looks like it was ripped straight from a brochure. So very diverging visual styles. If I had to compare this guy to a film director He's almost like a Werner Herzog, uh, if I'm saying that name correctly, in that he's he doesn't make the AAA titles, but everything he makes is just interesting enough for you to go. I kind of want to watch that. that sounds, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I was I, interested in that. But I, that, that sounds that sounds. Now cool. I'm very interested. Yeah, now I'm very interested. So a very uh, a very a very talented person. Uh, what, what was his name again? I just want to I want to make sure that I get Jim Dekev. Jim Jim Dekev. 
yeah, very talented person. And but but today we're looking at a specific game that's been made about space travel. Mm-hmm. And this game came out, I believe, in two thousand and five. And it's all about cooperatively going out trying to find a new place to colonize in space. But first, you have to find energy, minerals, food, and then a new place to live, and then report back to Earth to sort of tell them the good news. Right. Uh, and that's essentially the entire concept for Interstellar, which was what the lead end of the show was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so why don't you tell us, Garrett, a little bit about the game, and more importantly, what's what's in the box? In the box? What's in the box? Uh, so yeah, I, I I don't think we touched on it. I, I maybe briefly touched on it, but basically, um, Family Pastimes made these games to sell to classrooms, and so they're you know not your maybe collectible or or hobbyist board game quality. Um, so I think that is important to keep in in perspective when we're we're looking at it. Uh, he, <laughs> this is very much a um, a simpler box. It, it's very much on the lower end of production. Um, we have just a plain. On, on the front of the box, it's like Jeff commented that every time I showed it, he thought I was showing him the back of the box because it, it's it got the entire game description on the front of the box. And then the back of the box is just blank white cardboard. So yeah, it's uh, it's very, you know, it's, it's very like simple. Old Milton Bradley games where like, yeah, the back right. is just nothing. Yeah. So it's, it's just got a simple fold out board with five planets on it. And then it's got, I don't know, I've 20 different little, maybe more than that, 30 different little chips that have different um, These little tiles. Pieces. They have yeah. shields, they've got uh, resources, and they've got various threats. And then you've got four uh, spacecraft tokens as well as mm-hmm. four spacecraft cards that you store uh, your resources yeah. on. And one die. And that's it. So, simple components. Um, I, one thing I did want to point to in the rules that um, I thought was kind of funny is uh, when he's he's telling you to punch out the punch out the little cardboard chits that uh that are the resources and stuff mm-hmm. he he tells you to be very careful and he does he does this throughout his instructions which i which i find pretty humorous please, please be very careful. Uh, this please. is delicate <laughs> this is very delicate and he's right because like if you're not careful you will cut off like mm-hmm. some of the text it is yeah. not dead so center he goes carefully take apart the die cut parts it is important not to be hasty in separating the parts in order to avoid torn edges the game's challenge lies in the tokens being unknown until exposed use scissors <clears throat> if the tokens don't come apart easily so so it's it's very you normally I've never see been told are, how to punch out tiles yeah <laughs> normally rules don't even touch on like they're just like here's a punch board figure out yeah. what to do but he's very descriptive um throughout his rules and and it it follows throughout the entire rule book um the rule book is just a little green piece of it's you know standard size paper folded in half basically right i feel like he needs to be that descriptive though because you were you posted some images of the tiles in uh in our work slack mm-hmm. and the images aren't necessarily properly centered some of them are going off the edges you also showed some of the some of the images that are on the game board itself and mm-hmm. like this is sort of like you know you know when your dad like copies <laughs> copies an image and he sends it to you in an email and it's like a super low res picture but yeah. it, he tries to expand it so it takes up like the either the whole word document or the whole email <laughs> and a whole white space. super grainy yeah. you know it's, it's, it's like, like he, he wants to print it out, he wants to print it out so he just stretches it to the right dimensions and then he, he prints that out right it's <laughs> This guy this is, is much more of a thinker and a conceiver than I think a technical executor. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, he had to be very careful on 
how you're handling the board game. Otherwise, it'd be <clears throat> sure. it'd be even worse than it is. Sure. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um. So more more on the the rule book. The like I said, there is the five to seven year old game, the seven to twelve year old game, and then the twelve plus year old game. And so each each of those games has their own section in the rule book, and you and you read through to to follow through the rules. Uh, we played the five to seven because it's recommended. You start there, and then you add in the additional rules as you go on. Um, so basically, the the basic rules of the game are you have um, the tokens turned face down on each planet, and you visit each planet by rolling a die. And whatever die you roll, that's the planet you visit, and you uncover uncover that token. Um, and those tokens are either going to be dangers or they're going to be resources or it's going to be a habitable planet. Um, and so basically the goal is to find the habitable planet, then deliver all of your resources to that ha- habitable planet and then make your way back to the space station so that you can um, return to Earth and share the good news to, to, the, the, to people the people of Earth. <laughs> people of Earth. Um, Hey guys, we're gonna live. <laughs> we found it. Come on, jump on. Yeah, I've always wanted to say like make an got, announcement to the people of Earth. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I love the concept of interstellar travel, but they haven't figured out the uh, the radioing back to Earth yet. We gotta so. go all the way back. <laughs> right, that's good. Um, as I said, there are some uh, hazards and dangers mixed into those tiles. Um, so as you flip those over, you're blocking the different routes into and off the planet. So um, as the game progresses, it um, you can turn over a tile and it will cut off your path. So you may be stuck there and that's where your shields come into place and you can kind of break through asteroid belts or, or gas. I, I think they're like gases, gaseous entities. That Ice clouds and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the basics of the game and, and basically the object of the game, collect as many resources as you can uh, and then return to earth if possible. And it, it, it is as many resources as you can then Unload your unload minerals. Yeah. All unload over. Unload all over. All over that planet. Your new planet that you're going to be living on. That's key. That's very key. <laughs> we, we we did have a good time with that. Uh, and I one thing I do want to touch on in the rules is I I think he's very careful to make sure that he is setting you up that this is probably not gonna you're probably not going to get every single um, you're probably not gonna have the perfect game rather you're probably not gonna completely wipe out. Um, all the resources or get all the resources and find the habitable habitable planet and then get all the astronauts back to earth um and so he he tells you that like when you're assessing the game you it says debrief the mission what story do we have to communicate um did we find all the information tokens was anyone stranded on a planet are you ready for another mission in space it will be very different so be careful so i i think it's cool um we kind of talked about this with him is like, he, he's very much setting up a story. Like yeah. he's, he wants you to, it, you know, it, it's Experience almost like it a, and, mm-hmm. it's, he it, truly loves community. He yeah, truly yeah. loves the idea of a social experience. And that's why I think he loves co-op games so much. And that's why he prefers to design them. And you can tell that in the way that, you know, he's writing his instructions is he wants everyone to be talking to one another and sharing their thoughts and feelings of what happened in the game. And, even arguing sometimes, yeah, and having yeah. rigorous debate as he and even in our own game, right? It's funny because um, Garrett and I got <laughs> stranded, and Thomas had to kind of help us get out. And just by the <laughs> dice rolls, t- Garrett and I ended up getting off the off the um, the solar system. And Thomas was stranded mm. on the planet and couldn't get out because so, he had used his shields to, to help save us. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it, same thing. Like you know, I can imagine, and be, because he's thinking about you know the community and co-op, he's like, well, what if somebody feels bad for helping others? Like how how would that how would that conversation go? And you should have that conversation. And we did. So at the end of the game, we we're like, 
sorry, bud, we we gotta leave you here. And we'd we'd wondered if we'd actually won the game because Thomas mm-hmm. said, I'm just gonna wait here until you guys get back. Because <laughs> yeah. it was on the suitable exactly. The yeah, yeah. The yeah, yeah the so there's, there's the defection mm-hmm. variation for the second game. And and I just want to read this verbatim, it's pretty short. So uh according to to, to Mr. Decove here, what do you do when a player says near the end of the mission, I don't want to go back to Earth. I'm staying on this perfect new planet that has food, energy, and minerals. Well, after trying to persuade the player not to do this, we finally allowed it with two conditions. The player has to end up on the perfect planet, not the space station like the rest of us. And at least two astronauts must return to Earth via the space station because we determined it takes at least two crew to sail it. So which we didn't know about that variation going into the game, but we actually ended that up winning that the, way. The yeah. exact same thing that we did. Um, but yeah, again, it, it goes back to this idea that there's not like this black and white, like almost every game. And I, I think this is to the benefit of most games that there's a black and white standard. Like there's, there's no gray area, or there shouldn't be any gray area. Um, here's the winning condition. You it's, it's Boolean, right? It's true yeah. or false. Did yep. you achieve this? Yes. You win. Especially okay. in co-op. Yeah. Yeah, especially. And so he's he's very much turns that on its head. And it's super interesting to see and, and we can debate whether or not it works, but it, it's super interesting to see where he's like, Well what what happens if somebody doesn't want to go back? What if they're just like, No, I don't I don't need to go back to Earth? Mm-hmm. Um so uh, to, super, to super back, cool. It's very cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna play uh, sort of devil's advocate here. Yeah. My first impression of that mechanic and when when you read that in the rule books, I was just like I think to a certain extent, I get that this guy wants to take everyone's opinions into consideration. Yep. But Jeff and I sort of like talked about it and we're like, this guy, he kind of wants to please everybody. Yeah. You, in a realistic situation, if you have someone who's sitting there folding their arms, you have a very staunch play tester who's saying, no, I don't want to go back. <laughs> that guy's just being a jerk, yeah. right? I mean, if you explained <laughs> it to him and you told him, look, we're about to travel light years back to Earth. There's no way in hell you're going to survive if you stay on this planet with zero infrastructure, but just a bunch of, you know, bunch of cliff foods. Foods. bunch of cliff yeah. bars. Yeah, a bunch of cliff bars you're, that you're going to laugh. So we're going to you're going to be a skeletal remains by the time that we come back. That's all you really have to say. But he added an entire additional variant yeah, in the rule to book. the rule book mm-hmm. because he had someone who was just who is being a jerk who is and we have lots of friends who are playing a game and you know we've we've dealt with those people before what's really interesting is and, i think oh go yeah. ahead i was just gonna say i don't necessarily think that he had to go as far as to include the variant i feel like he could have very clearly said no you all need to be on the ship you're gonna die but he he sort of caved and i don't know that was my initial my initial take but what are your thoughts jeff yeah i 100 percent agree with you and something else that um so we had read that variant first before we went back and um kind of looked into family pastimes and all the other games that they made as well as the blog and what i found really interesting was it seems like he listens to the vocal minority a lot of the time so it's not just in this game whereas the direct result was he put a variant in the game but if you look back at all the blog posts like garrett was mentioning i'm curious to know if like a lot of the I guess pushback on some of the games that didn't do well was an actual, you know, legitimate um, case that his play ba- player base was making, or if he was just listening to some people that were like emailing him, you know, or, ca- or calling him to complain or whatever. So, so and, and some people try to make it seem like it's a bigger thing than it is, and uh, and maybe that's just the case with him is that he he takes in he takes every little bit of information into account, even though it might be you know five percent of his player base. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of one thing that I think it percolates throughout all of his blog writings mm-hmm. and his, yep. his rule book is that this guy's very aware of how people feel, but he doesn't really ask the question, why do they feel that way? 
Is it truly, are they truly concerned about the looks of people's houses in a board game that was published in 1992? Or are people looking for something to be mad about because they don't have enough excitement? You know, they just need something to do on the day-to-day basis. He, he doesn't really think about it that far. I think, and it's it might be, it might be from, you know, just being genuinely good-hearted that he just wants to listen to everybody and try and see what everyone is feeling in every single moment and give it all the all the credit that he I can. I think in a mildly successful game, when you're going to get like a large enough player base, you're going to have people that are going to disagree with how the game is played. Like There are going to be people that don't like it. Like Even like look at games like Cards Against Humanity that a ton of people love and we hate. I mean, there's going to be people that don't like it. And, you know, that's just the, it's just a big numbers game. You're going to have people that do that. So you're not going to be able to please everybody. So I think it's actually... Uh, generally indicative that he has some success that he's going to have people, you know, you, you're going to have some haters, right? Like that uh, once you get to a certain level of, you know, pr- producing mm-hmm. enough games that are getting out there enough. So, so yeah. one thing on that, and, and we don't have to dive deep into this, but just some food for thought. I, I think I didn't look into this until y'all started talking about that, but I, th- I think what's kind of interesting is kind of the, the path this takes. So in the first five to seven year old mission, it's completely cooperative. Like it doesn't give you an option to, to defect at all. Like, Everybody needs to get back, or we all we all don't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, the seven to twelve year old game is where it in- includes that defector little one, where you know you can win if this, this, and this. So it's like a pseudo defection type mechanic. You know, it's not the same as like betraying everybody, but it, you know, it's it's this kind of pseudo thing. And then for the twelve plus year old game, he has the one where you guys. Um, delegate you return to earth and you can delegate the resources back to earth and to the different continents and what he says i love and so (laughs) what he says in this is when we return to earth with our discoveries we're given the awesome responsibility of deciding who gets that we must all agree on what to do or nothing gets done we have we always have a very vigorous debate in our game sessions so what i what i kind of think is can you clarify that? Can you sort of dumb it, like, if people don't understand it? What do you mean by we have to delegate? So basically, uh, as the as the game gets harder, if you do this hardest difficulty, you get extra resources, you get extra sets of food. And so if you get four food, you can give them to four continents. And so you guys would all need to argue or debate and all come to a unanimous decision that these four food are getting sent to North America, uh, Asia, Africa, and South America, and then Europe and Australia get left out. Sorry. So, (laughs) (laughs) and so that's, you don't get to go to the new planet. Sorry guys. Right. So you, you delegate who gets what resources. And so, um, he, he adds this like completely not, not necessary mode at the end where you, you argue about it and it's all or nothing like we all agree or or that's it and or i think we lose <laughs> right right and i th- i think it's I, I think it's a clear um kind of like a as you're it, it's kind of like a developmental process yeah, like it, yeah it, it mirrors the developmental process for for the age group mm-hmm. um to a degree and and i think it's interesting so well i agree yeah that yeah this is just a, well everybody can win if we do this for the five to five to seven year olds or yeah, five right. or seven, seven to twelve year olds. Sorry, um, I think that's that's probably appropriate for the age group. And then he introduces that one where like one guy can just say no and screw it for everybody. Yeah, which in, you'll in probably see at that game. age group. And then finally, <laughs> <laughs> finally, and you just probably, need to just, yeah. like you, finally the last one is you just need to have one person decide one thing differently than everybody else, and then sure, you right, not win. sure, because you have all these different people working with like different moral compasses. Someone yep. could be going with a utilitarianist point and of view. I, I think that's appropriate. Saying, greatest amount, yeah, greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. Save the most people and someone might say no we are 
going to need we need individuals who are used to uh, traveling in space. So obviously we got to give it to, you know, North America, the, con- the you know, com- <laughs> continents right. that have uh, space stations. I'm not sure. sure if Australia has the has the biggest space crew in the world. I, I don't know that off the top of my head, but like there's so many different right, right, moral right. compasses that you could use. Sure. So I, I, I will, again, put the put the counter argument and, and not to, you know, go off the deep end here but yeah i think i think it's appropriate for the age group to include those where yeah here's the thing where everybody can win and then oh here's the thing where one person can ruin it for everybody uh for Mm -hmm. the for the appropriate age groups so my my take on that some of the most interesting variants that i've ever seen with the game that not only add more mechanics but add more player interaction and conversation around the mechanics so I will. I'll, I'll definitely give it to him there. One yeah. thing about this producer, that's uh, this game developer, that's worth mentioning is that they have a lot of games. Most of them, you have some that like they they fall down towards like the three. I think some of his highest rated ones hover around the seven. He's generally pumping out pretty solid games. Most of them average anywhere between like four point nine to yeah. 5.9 yeah. like sure. somewhere in sure. that 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 area so for someone who makes so many games to have most of them consistently it'd be you know you finish playing it and you're like nodding your head and you're going yeah i get it i get yeah. i get how this is a game. <laughs> yeah that was decent yeah. uh, and, and really again good. i think it's important to note that like we as hobbyist gamers are looking at it um and he is very much trying to get these in the classrooms and sell them for bottom dollar price and you know get the components in the box regardless of what they are so i am sure part of the consideration is taking like man these these graphics are crappy the the, the parts are crappy yeah, but so you know that's the game that's not the point fine. he's yeah. putting a playable game out yeah. and i think also equally um important is that we mentioned before he's got so many different kinds of games so it it again says to how impressive it is that you know his rating is generally sure. pretty consistent across various different game types and game mechanisms. So I think that's that's pretty important. I think if you were to say, oh, yeah, Matt Leacock, he makes all these cooperative games. They're always around 6-point-whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's got, he you know, he's kind of a one-trick pony in some ways. He does one recipe really well, but this guy does everything, you know, and, and mm-hmm. to say that all of his games or most of his games are still hovering around the same score is really impressive, I think. Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, get into our own personal ratings. Uh this is this is going to be a really interesting one. Uh, does anyone want to go first? Yeah, I'll jump in here. Um, so I am super appreciative. This is like one of those movies where um, you sit through it and you're like, a great example is um, Ad Astra. Yeah. Where I was like, man, I think everything in here is is really cool. Um, this <clears> is <throat> like I'm on board with the I'm on board with the uh, action scenes. I'm on board with the the concept of how they they. They address space. I'm on board with the acting. The acting is good, but I'm bored out of my mind. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I'm not like as a movie as a whole, the narrative, I'm just not, I'm not on top of it. Um, right. So I, I'm giving points kind of to the art house direction of this. And I think it is really cool. And I would love to see more like it. And I, I, I think it's important to have this in our culture where we're not just seeing, you know, the exact same type of games. Cause we see that a lot in the board game industry where like, you know, right. the, the successful the, ones, you your cardinal copied. games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your cut and paste, yep. uh, race like, game. Oh, legacy games. Let's just open stuff. Let's tear up cards. Yeah. And like you, you have the exact same story in each one. So I, I truly, truly appreciate his take on this. And and it's it is like honestly a breath of fresh air. Now, when we played the game, um, and maybe this would be different, I would I actually do want to go back and play the 12 plus year old game, but um the five to seven and the seven to twelve year old game, it just doesn't it, you know, it's not there. And and I think to a large degree that's because it's for younger audience. Um 
but I, you know, I, even kind of doing the mental exercise of thinking what the 12 plus game would be like, I, I don't think it would quite be for me. Um, so, you know, as a, as a work of art or a, as a game itself, um, the game itself doesn't necessarily hold together for me, but as far as like the concept of it and the idea behind it, man, I think, I think it's really awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm super, super pleased by it. Uh, I'm giving it a 6.5. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go next. Yeah. So um, I agree with all the points. I think Ad Astra was a great, <laughs> like a great comparison <laughs> there. And hundred percent agree with you. Um, but yeah. So like, if you look through what he's done really well is um, we've played games before that where there's a ton of loopholes. And, you know, when we first sat down and played this game, I was looking for a lot of loopholes, but his mechanics are really solid. I think in the game, like there's nothing you can really break. Um, they're, they're pretty straightforward for the most part. <laughs> um, and I, the only thing I wish that was more like, I, I agree with you. I think there's like, it does everything well, all the structure's there, but, like, the flavor's off, right? Like, the, the I guess the experience or the enjoyment is off. So, like, we didn't make very many decisions sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a way for us to avoid losing, per se, in that particular scenario. We just kind of, like, we only had one clear decision. That was kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, I think the art was, like, the art could be better. We talked about how it looks like an MS-DOS game or, um, <laughs> like, an old-school pinball mm-hmm. game or whatever. Like, it's a, that's similar. Especially but, in 2004. Exactly. Yeah, it was, like, a 2005 <laughs> release, and I was expecting a lot more there. Um, and I'm right. pretty sure all the game releases now that he does still look the same. Um, but, yeah, I think just the fact that, like, in context, the fact that, you know, it's meant more for, um, you know, for the classroom, it's meant to bring people together in a cooperative style and talk about these different topics and issues and, um, the fact that he, you know, brings in these different concepts of, you know, what if we went to space and uh, what if we started to look for resources in a new place to live and starts to get people thinking about, you know, these different topics. I think that's really cool in and of itself. So, um, mm. so I'm, I'm really appreciative of that as well. Um, yeah, I think like, again, solid game. I think you could play it. I think it's fine. I just don't think it was that enjoyable, um, like from a, from an entertainment perspective. So I can't knock it too much. I'm going to give it a, like a five and a half. Good. Uh, I'm going to start off my rating by saying first that title, though. I love the, <laughs> the title of this game. It is. It sounds mysterious. It sounds dark and foreboding, which when you're thinking about it, it kind of is because, you know, we're trying to find that uh, uh, habitable place or in the in the universe that we can finally sustain life and move mm-hmm. on and continue to move forward as a species. But uh, anyways, yeah, I love the title. I think this game has so many things that are going well for it. Uh, the the philosophical conversations that come with the later variants is awesome. I do think that uh, I, I would like to see a little bit more uh, diversity in the mechanics that are in the earlier versions of the game. So it's not just, you know, you're using your Z shields and your X shields to get past, uh, you know, the few the, few the Z obstacles obstacle and the yeah, X the Z, obstacle. Exactly. Yeah. The Z obstacle and the X obstacle. I, I feel like that they you could do a little bit more in the in the game that we played because it was for the most part just rolling and then going where it told you you draw it and hopefully you get lucky. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like in the later variants of the game, there's a lot of conversations that happen around it. Um, the mechanics of the game weren't the best, but part of me wants to give credit to the designer himself because it's sort of like it's sort of like. Um, you know, it's sort of like, I, I said it was like Werner Herzog movies or like, you know, a Richard Linklater movie or something like that, I think is something that you said earlier when we were talking before we started uh, yeah. before we started the podcast. 
But I don't see every Werner Herzog film. I don't see every Richard Linklater film. Right. But looking at this guy's collection, I'm glad this guy's making games, right? Because right. I yeah. know he's adding to the conversation. He's adding to the mm. the medium of uh, of board games and the media of board games. And I think it's it's better because of them. Is this probably his best game out of his collection? Probably not. But he's got me interested enough to check out the rest of it. So I'm going to probably give him a six. Uh, six. For a job well done. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, we are surprisingly close to the Board Game Geek average. 5.6 is the average on there. We came out to a Rough Draft Boys average of six, only 0.4 higher. Um, we have been all over the map lately, so this is a return to form here. And I, I think the the five people that reviewed it on uh, Board Game Geek mostly got it right. So <laughs> I, this guy, I feel like more people need to be playing his games. He's yeah. got these. There's one of his games has 314 ratings, so it's his most popular one. I think it's like one that's intended for little, mm-hmm. little tiny children. It's called Max the Cat, but. I feel like if if you just go and you look through this guy's collection, it's a wonderful case study of just how many mechanics can be inserted into so many different types of board games. And really, it mar- it starts to make me think there's really no excuse to be a one trick pony. Yeah, you know, if you're a developer and you're churning out all these different titles that are essentially the same thing, just reskinned. There's real like if this guy can do it, and it's an eighty. 85-year-old guy working on his own in Canada, you know. <laughs> of all the third-world uh, countries. Of all the third-world countries. <laughs> then I think, you know, we can all hold ourselves to a, a higher caliber of integrity when it comes to the games um, that we play and the games that we make. One one, one other note for the ratings. Uh, Board Game Geek was, again, pretty consistent. You know, usually you see, like, 10 and 1 and you know it averages yeah. out based on what those are these are all five sixes and sevens on, on board game geek however on amazon there is only one review and it's one star and I, mm. I, I would i would love to read it it's by night sky he night sky he says uh I'm mad he took my name terrible product <laughs> Don't waste your money. I bought this for my grandchild's birthday gift and was embarrassed to give it, and we wound up throwing it away. A better investment for a child interested in space is an astronaut suit. Boots, gloves, (laughs) backpack made for children, and also a sampling of real astronaut food packets, including ice cream. Those were good investments. <laughs> so that is the here's this the one fifteen dollar thing that I bought. That I and, but here's this couple thousand dollar set instead. And surprisingly, the thousand dollar set was better. Why can't this fifteen dollar game compete? What it's like when world? mom and dad are giving a child a gift, and you know mom makes this beautiful handmade uh, piece of pottery that she you know decorated herself and put her you know spent hours and hours working on. But dad got an iPad, so <laughs> I got an iPad. <laughs> That iPad is sweet. You play oh Angry Birds God, on an iPad. iPad. Why can't your pottery play Candy Crush? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think it's time that we add our own voice to this uh, to this page here. Uh, so, Garrett, Jeff, and I have cooked up a little bit of a review that we would like you to uh, maybe maybe you might have something to add to it. But uh, this is going to be posted on the uh, on the page for Board Game Geek as our official. Rough draft games review. So I'm gonna post this in the uh, in the Slack for you, and you can tell me you can tell me what you think, man. <clears throat> Still not sure if this is truly a co-op game. 
My friend wouldn't willingly trade me a shield at the beginning of the game. <laughs> However, the awesome title reminds me of a romance novel that I used to see my mom reading all the time. Same content, too. Unloading minerals. Very cool. <laughs> Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. I love it. Awesome. Adapt. There you go. Well, short, sweet, and to the point. If you guys want to check out that review, you can head over to the Board Game Geek page uh, for Dark and Dangerous Skies. You can see it there. Uh, and if you would, uh, if you'd like to see more from Roll and Move, then uh, that's pretty easy to do too. If you want to hit us up on Twitter and ask us, uh, ask us about the game of ours that's coming out, All Rise. We got a prototype that we're going to be filming some Kickstarter video with, hopefully later this month. And uh, things are really bumping. I know that you were concerned that we were going away forever because we were gone for two or three weeks there, but we're back. We're not going anywhere, okay? We're in this for the long haul. So if you need to reach out to us on Twitter just to make sure that we're not going to abandon you again, feel free to do that at Rough Draft Games. If you have any marriage advice, podcasting advice, or general board game advice, send it directly to me at roughdraftgames at gmail.com. I'll be reading every single email you send me there. Uh, please don't hesitate. And also, if you want to travel the internet hyperspace and pop out the wormhole at the other side, maybe you want to come check out our website, roughdraftgames.com. You can check out other theme-type games around space, uh, like Space Alert and Space Team, that we have on our website as well, other po- other podcast episodes like this, and also our new game that we're coming out with, All Rise, which hopefully will be, like Thomas mentioned, will be kickstarting. And last and not least, it would be so horrible if we did not go ahead and unabashedly beg you for five stars please. on uh, on iTunes, please, baby, please, it, it helps us with uh, with enlarging this uh, community that we are trying to build here around board games, and uh, helps with the algorithm so other people can find the show. So if you haven't done so yet, if you could give us five stars on iTunes, we would be so grateful for that. And thank you to all of you guys who have already done so. But uh, Garrett, I'm a little uh, I, I'm a little low on coffee here, so you're gonna have to take us home on this. Uh, you know, Garrett, you can take me a new home, but Thomas might have to stay on this planet. Tom, I think you're going to stay on the line. Thanks for saving. Thanks for getting us out of here. But Jeff and I, I yo, we're, sorry, we got to yeah, go. We got to yeah, go. We're, we're gone. Sorry, Tom. We're gone. Later, bud. <laughs>